0: Hello and welcome, this is Hard Reset. I'm JC Cortez.
1: I'm Molly Bryant.
0: I'm Justin Sanders. Last week, the House Judiciary Committee approved articles of impeachment after a debate that lasted two days. But some conservative news outlets have their eyes on a different story. The Inspector General's Office for the Department of Justice released a report last week examining the FBI's investigation into whether or not the Trump campaign coordinated with Russia to interfere in the election.
2: The report found no political bias in the investigation, but it did describe concerns with other aspects of the investigation. The report also was an opportunity to spread misinformation. We're here with Big Up True founder Molly Bryant to talk about her recent fact check, related to the inspector general's report so this issue goes back a couple of years
0: uh, this involves the steel dossier which is a pretty infamous document so can you kind of tell us what that document is and and just explain to us kind of what we're going into here
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, So the Steele dossier, it was written by Christopher Steele, a former British spy. Um, Basically, the report was funded by the Democratic National Committee and Hillary Clinton's campaign, although they didn't directly hire him to do the work, but they funded it. The thing with that document, though, is some of the information could be verified um, by The FBI and by journalists, but other information could not be verified. And so it's a a, kind of a faulty document. Okay.
2: So now that Molly has kind of reminded everyone what was going on with that dossier uh, that's been kind of the source of a lot of controversy ever since it it was released back in 2017, that brings us to the actual claim that we're talking about this week in the fact check Um, We actually have a clip of Tucker Carlson on his show on Fox News, discussing the state more checking this week. Let's let's go to that clip now. Former Obama CIA chief John Brennan is a liar. Not only that, he lied to Congress. In the spring of 2017, Brennan told the House Intel Committee that the Steele dossier played no role in the creation of intelligence community assessment on Russian interference that was presented to both President Obama and President-elect Trump. Brennan was not vague about this. He said unequivocally, on camera, the dossier was totally irrelevant. That was a complete lie. The IG report proves it. A lie. The Steele dossier, in fact, was a major element of the intelligence assessment, and Brennan, in particular, found it very important. In other words, John Brennan, not a close call here, perjured himself on camera in front of the world.
1: This clip was shared from... uh president trump's one of his campaign accounts it's called the trump war room
0: right we've talked about that account uh, on the show before right trump or the trump war room they're kind of known for putting out some some like faulty information and stuff right
1: yeah like they uh they definitely they frequently post misleading or um incorrect information so this is just an example of that but they have a, a pretty broad reach so yeah that so that was part of why i wanted to look at this
2: okay so we heard there um how carlson characterized john brennan's statements under oath uh in relation to that dossier um molly when you looked into this what did you find was actually said during brennan's testimony back in 2017
1: what he said was that the dossier wasn't used in any way as a basis for um this intelligence report that was used to brief then President Obama and president-elect at the time, uh, Trump. What the Inspector General's report actually says about this, did the dossier play a role? So instead of putting the dossier in the main uh, the main bar of their intelligence assessment, they put it in an appendix. So it's like a separate part of the document. They noted that they had trouble corroborating Steele's reporting um, with with their own uh, investigation into the material, and they also said that the dossier wasn't used to reach any intelligence conclusions. So, like the main part of their report was from other sources; it was not based on this dossier. That's what the inspector general report says. So that completely conflicts with what uh, Carlson was saying in this huge accusation that. Brennan had committed a crime during his testimony part of why I wanted to fact check this was because that is a a serious claim that that Carlson was making that Brennan actually has committed a crime it's a huge accusation and one that you're not supposed to make as um, as an ethical journalist without uh, serious evidence when I actually looked into what is in the inspector general report on on brennan the report didn't explicitly say how brennan felt about the dossier it didn't explicitly um, go into anything like that or claim that brennan specifically thought it was an important document
0: okay molly tell me why it's important why this particular type of thing is important to fact check and tell me why you went into this like what was your motivation in asking this question
1: so, I mean, I mentioned earlier that this had been, this clip had been amplified by the Trump war room, Twitter account. So that was part of it. One thing I've been thinking about lately, like there's been a lot of debate about whether or not fact checking actually amplifies misinformation. And that kind of connects to what we've talked about previously on the show with um, the liar's dividend. So you write about something, you basically like give the misinformation more more footing, like more more legs to stand on. Um
0: yeah, basically like if it's worthy of being debated then then people automatically give it some credence. Like if it's not just being blown off automatically then then there's something there's a there's must be a debate to be had if people are having a debate.
1: Right. Exactly. Um but I, I feel like fact checking is the best way to go. One of the main ways that people get to our site is through search. And so people are using us as a reference. At the same time, there is this thing that exists called data voids. And that's what happens when you Google something that has never been written about by a credible journalism organization, hasn't been covered in any other kind of way. And so you Google it and you get just a bunch of unreliable information and there's no one in there like no source in there to kind of uh, steer you in the right direction and so I've been trying to focus my fact checking on areas where there are these data voids and before I fact check something I search it to see what's out there and if most of what I'm seeing is pretty unreliable I feel like that's something that I should be covering
0: I mean yeah that makes sense I mean, you said that people are using the site as a reference. I mean, so you're talking about people have a specific question and they're they're entering search terms to find information about that. And if if there's no real reliable source out there, then they're just getting the garbage that anybody you know wants to post. They're getting like the conspiracy theories right from the theorists and. And so the idea is to look for places where there's darkness and shed light. I mean, that's journalism in the first place, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, like a perfect example was um, when we were talking a few weeks ago about uh, Nicholas Fuentes and how, like, he would his fans would go to these Q and A's for people like Charlie Kirk. So there was one uh, incident where one of the one of his fans asked the audience to Google dancing Israelis, which is a conspiracy theory, and if you Google that, like just the conspiracy theories come up it's a it's a mess because most journalism organizations are too afraid of amplifying an insane conspiracy theory like that so they just won't write about it but people are still you know they're just surrounded by this information if they use google
0: yeah so i don't feel like that that falls really within that liar's dividend kind of realm because Again, I'm like people are, are searching for specific questions. Like they need to have that reliable information. Like that needs to be out there. I mean, I, I kind of understand the argument that if you're if you're debating it, then then you know you're giving it some some attention. But it just doesn't make sense to to completely ignore something like that and not to give people not arm people with the information that's going to help them out.
2: Yeah, and, and I would say the, the, the faulty part of that logic is assuming that anyone that might search for a conspiracy theory is necessarily like someone that wants to believe it. You know, I, I think there's a, a large audience of people that might look something like that up because they're trying to refute someone that's telling them that. And if the only thing out there uh, for these topics, like you both said, uh, is coming straight from a conspiracy theorist, then how does that help? The person that is actually looking for the truth about the matter. So I definitely agree that there's some logic to it, but I think it it stands to be debated that we should just ignore these things that are gaining so much traction on the internet right now. And so speaking of kind of unchecked conspiracy theories, um, some of the things we've been talking about recently on the show, uh, I think now we want to discuss a change in YouTube's policies uh, regarding harassment. So Here's part of what an official YouTube Twitter account had to say about these policy changes. Um, behavior now prohibited includes prolonged attacks that insult a person's intrinsic attributes such as race, physical traits, sexual orientation, religion, or gender. Note, this won't affect our openness for a broad range of artistic expression and debate on important issues. Uh, Molly, I wanted to get your opinion. What do you What do you make of these changes, um, especially in light of the research you've been doing for the past month or so uh, around hate speech kind of proliferating on all these different online platforms?
1: Well, I think part of what is happening, I mean, obviously this is very focused on, uh, on harassment, but I'm also wondering if one of the things YouTube is trying to do is use this harassment um, policy as kind of a backdoor to policing hate speech Uh, a little bit more. So we have this clip from a 60-minute segment on YouTube's policies with hate speech and other problematic content. Um, So this is uh, Susan Wojcicki, the YouTube CEO. You can go too far, and that can become censorship. And so we have been working really hard to figure out what's the right way to balance responsibility uh, with freedom of speech. But the private sector is not legally beholden to the First Amendment. You're not operating under some freedom of speech mandate. You get to pick. We do, but we think there's a lot of benefit from being able to hear from groups and underrepresented groups that otherwise we never would have heard from. So you can see that kind of echoes a little bit like this, the spirit of this harassment policy related to race. Um, And also, I mean, like in this Twitter thread it says no, this won't affect our openness for a broad range of artistic expression so they're trying to still maintain that they are a free speech platform and obviously they value that a lot.
0: I mean YouTube definitely has um, like a job ahead of it with this because on one level I mean it is it was a it was originally a platform just for people to put their own stuff out there and if you're gonna start, censoring if you're going to start. Uh, But, I mean, you already do. You know, the idea that once you start policing content, you're just going to start sanitizing everything. It's a slippery slope fallacy. You already don't allow, you know, tons of stuff on YouTube can get you shut down. And if you were a publisher, if you are a television station, and you were allowing the levels of racism and Homophobia and other like targeted kinds of harassment. A publisher, if it was a a TV station, if it was anything like that, people would be going crazy over them. You know, you'd you'd be protesting. People would be writing letters, uh, and it it doesn't make sense to allow just anybody to have that kind of material on your platform just because you're afraid of being labeled uh, a censor.
2: Yeah, and I also I, I take, um, I think, umbrage with a comment that Wojcicki made in that 60 Minutes clip um, saying that these are underrepresented groups they might not be able to hear from otherwise. Um, I think, as we know from Molly's reporting, um, in recent weeks there are plenty of platforms for these quote-unquote unrepresented groups or underrepresented groups to uh, To get their message out there, so to me, that that argument doesn't really hold up to scrutiny.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, the idea that that people are policing content because it's quote unquote offensive is insane. The reason you don't allow people to have like racist rants on cable television is because it causes social harm, it causes violence, it causes negative consequences in your society, you know. And that's the same thing as YouTube. We have allowed the internet yeah. a lot more room.
2: Well, and to me, JC, your comment about um, like a cable, a cable show uh, is so much different than what Wajuski is actually talking about here. It's not like when someone makes a YouTube video um, espousing some harmful idea, uh, you know, something like you know, racial cleansing, things like that. It's not the same thing as if an individual that believed that was to go on a talk show and basically have their ideas rebutted in real time. Uh, YouTube doesn't work that way. You know, there's not always a counter argument being made. It's not always like you're just presenting this, uh, you know, this one thought and then it, it's seen in the perspective of all the other thoughts on this matter. Uh, you know, YouTube can be very, very much a side-load, uh type of media where these ideas can just lead you into videos with even more radical ideas, even uh, more extreme viewpoints. And it's not like YouTube is making a point to make sure all viewpoints get heard. So much as they just don't want to get into removing, uh, viewpoints that basically, in my opinion, drive a lot of traffic, uh, maybe also it would be expensive for them to try to, to try to moderate against.
1: That's a really good point because like there really isn't accountability within the platform. Um, because each video is its own insulated thing. Um, and also there's the algorithm situation that I, I think you brought up, which, uh, also, during that uh, 60 Minutes segment, um, one of the things that Wojcicki mentioned was that YouTube had cut down on the amount of time that Americans are spending watching controversial content by 70%. But there's still a lot of questions about like how they calculated that. They never said how much time Americans are spending watching that stuff. So, I mean, we don't really know what's going on.
0: And, you know, even that is a little like i i i honestly sympathize with a lot of this uh like free speech err on the side of free speech err on the side of uh you know not creating some orwellian nightmare uh out of our out of our technology um the idea the idea that youtube has so much power in our society that that they're reducing you know they're reducing 70% of the harmful content that people or the controversial content that people view on their platform could have like a social impact. You know, it brings me, it, it makes me think of Facebook when, um, they did some experiment a few years ago. It was like the first time that really broke and they were, Like, they they used keywords and they were showing certain people more positive keyword messages based on keywords and other people more negative messages and kind of, I don't know, they measured the impact of that on people somehow.
1: Yeah, they performed a psychological experiment on people without their consent. (laughs) Like, that is what they did.
0: Mm -hmm. But it shows you the power that these companies have. If they, if they am tweaking an algorithm can affect people's individual moods, can affect their outlook, you know, can affect their life in a daily way. And we see these studies like on kids that social media increases like depression or it correlates to an increase in depression in, in youth. I I don't know if that means we need regulations. I don't know exactly what conclusion to draw from that. But just being able to look at ourselves and see how much power these platforms have to influence our lives really demands our attention. All right. Today's episode was hosted by me and Justin Sanders. This episode was produced by me. Our theme is Oh No by Harder Order. Hard Reset is available on Apple Podcasts, Subscribe and rate us to help people find the show.
1: Hard Reset is a podcast from BigIfTrue.org. We're a nonpartisan and nonprofit. Support us at BigIfTrue.org support. Subscribe to our newsletter at BigIfTrue.org slash hard reset.